Well, good morning. I hope you're all well. I hope you're all in good spirits. And we are going to continue with our series on the F word. And it's my privilege to carry on where Chris left off last week. Now, just a little recap. Chris, if you were here last week, and if you weren't, where were you? (laughs) You can get the podcast. But Chris drew our attention to the fact that this concept, this idea of trusting in God was a major paradigm shift for Jewish believers. Because if you were a Jew back then, your main focus was on keeping the law. And there were at least 600 different laws to keep. And in fact, it's fair to say that all you did was if you could just keep the 613 then you would be considered a good person so if you were a Jew your focus was on ticking the boxes and when Christianity as we call it or the way when it was called there came onto the scene what happened was they said no it's not just about keeping the law in fact if you try to keep the law you will never commend yourself to God It's about putting your trust in God. And I'm afraid that was like a, for us it's no big deal. Yeah, yes, of course you put your trust in God. But back then it was like, duh, duh, duh. put your trust in God. What are you talking about? You've got to keep the law, man. You've got to do things right. You've got to make sure that you do all the right things. They, but Jesus they, Jesus, no, no, no. You, you've got to put your trust in God. And in fact it was Paul. Who, was, who wrote at least 12 books of the New Testament. There is some dispute where it's 11 or 12. He never met Jesus, but he had an encounter with him that changed his life. And as we'll find out a little later, he had spent a great deal of his life seeking to keep the rules until he had an encounter that changed his life. Chris reminded us that really... None of us can keep the rules. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. You know, the law is like a chain. Ten links. If you break one, you break the lot. We've all fallen short. The only way that we can draw near to God is by putting our faith, our faith, the F word, in Jesus. That's the only way. And what are we putting our faith in? Yes, Jesus, and what he has done for us. This was the summary. What he's accomplished for us at Calvary. Where he became sin so that we might become God's righteousness through him. So that's where kind of Chris left us last week. That this faith is not in your cognitive ability your intellectual ability this faith is in a in god who is jesus and what he has done at calvary so where are we going to go from here however does you know does faith just stop at the point of us becoming followers of jesus or are there other aspects of our faith which are seen in our actions so let's look at luke seven thirty six to 50 jesus anointed by a sinful woman that's the uh, title now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table 
When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I don't know if it was eau de perfume, but we can assume it was the strong perfume. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he, he said to himself, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She, she is a sinner. Jesus said to, Simon, said to him, Simon, I have something to ask you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he counseled the debts of both. Now, which which of them will he love more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt counseled. You have judged correctly. Tell them I'm not here. <laughs> the people on the park are wonder what on earth is he going on about? <laughs> you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I've come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her sins have been, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little Loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, Who is this man who forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now we're going to take a different focus on this scripture because generally you'd want to teach about the forgiveness, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Here's the point Jesus declared her saved on the basis of her actions, not her words. It's what she did. She didn't say anything, it was her actions. The declaration caused great consternation for the Pharisees. Why? Because you see, the Pharisees were concerned about ticking the boxes. This woman didn't kick the, tick the boxes. She was a sinner. We presumed that she was a prostitute. And as far as they're concerned, you had to tick the boxes, so you were out of this. But Jesus says, no, it's her actions. You, being a Pharisee, when I come to your house, there should be someone at the door to wash my feet. You didn't bother with all of that, because you're into your position. You're into your education. You're into your status. You're into your heritage. You are a Pharisee of Pharisees. Yes, people dot their hat to you. That's what you're into. But let me tell you something. That lady's actions spoke more than any words that you spoke. That's what Jesus was saying to him. Her faith was demonstrated in the things that she did. 
Faith that saves is putting your trust in Jesus. Which of course is God. And that faith has to be exercised. Paul, who we've been talking about earlier, who Chris mentioned last week, was a Jew who spent all his life trying to tick the boxes. But this is what he declared. This is what he said about himself. He says, as for zeal, as for persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. As Chris said last week, this must have been a difficult guy to live around, man, because he... If you didn't do it right, he would say, what are you doing? The law says. However, after his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. His faith moved from ritualistic law keeping to putting his faith in God who is real and personal. He wasn't trying to appease God anymore. He put his faith in what Jesus had done. And he realized he was saved for a purpose. And if you get to know about Paul, you'll find that God saved him for a purpose. And that purpose changed the world. So we're going to consider this morning that we are saved for good works. We are saved for a purpose. And we're saved to pursue God's purpose. So I'm going to run through these and I'm going to do my best to unpack them quickly and speedily. So, save for good works, Ephesians 2, 18 to 10, and oh, I could preach this. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift, the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is Paul. Now Paul, you remember what he was? He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's had the revelation on the Damascus road that this Jesus who he's been persecuting and has been trying to appease is God. And he realizes that he can never appease him on the basis of works. The faith to be saved is given by God. It's a gift. So if this morning you become a follower of Jesus, it's not your intellectual cognitive ability that has brought you to this place. It's God giving you the gift To realize who he is. You can't commend yourself on the basis of your good works. Because we've all failed. Every one of us. No one can come to God and say, yo, look at me. I'm cool. I've kept the law. Check me out. No one would be that stupid. You know, we all know. We only have to look at ourselves after, never mind one, you know, one week, one day. You know, if you're married, you know, some interaction has not gone positively. Where you have to say, sorry. (laughs) No one needs convincing of that. The faith which God has given us to empower us to trust in Jesus is also to do good works. So Jesus doesn't just save you so you can just go to heaven. You know, I always say, you know, when we have a baptism service, that if God wanted to save you to go to heaven, we would just baptize you and shoot you with a gun and you could go straight away. You know, bam, gone home, bam, gone home. <laughs> but God has a purpose, a good work. And I love this part of scripture because we all can get up and, um, I've become a follower of Jesus. You know, if those of us more religious, I'm saved. But the fact is that God has saved you for a purpose. And it's not to keep the pew warm or the seats warm in our case. 
He has a purpose for you, a good work. And here's the nice thing about it, which has been prepared beforehand. And this is how I like to think about it. In the eons of time as God looked through the universe, he saw you and he said, ah, this Cheryl, I have a plan for her life. She will be blah, 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 blah. She will do the various things, because I know what she does, but I'm going to tell you. (laughs) And he has, I have a specific activity for her to do that no one else can do. And what what I'm wondering is that she pursue that and find that good work. And when she does that good work, it's going to affect other people's lives. And God has a good work for you and for me. Not everyone is going to stand on a stage and preach. But don't think that, oh, you become a Christian and you know, God doesn't have, doesn't have anything for me to do. That's not true. He chose you, it says, before the foundation of the earth. Isn't that nice? That God chose you before the foundation of the earth. He had a plan for you. He had a purpose for you. He had a work for you to do that no one else can do. You are unique. If I stopped there, I'd go home with that. You're unique. And God has a unique plan for your life. The same faith that we exercise to put our trust in Jesus is the same faith that we use to do good works. And God has already prepared the the perfect activity for us that is customized and tailor-made. We're talking Savile Row. We're talking bespoke tailored for us. No one else can do the job. Therefore, we have been saved for a purpose, which is usually always bigger than ourselves. Which brings us to our second point, saved for a purpose. Now, Paul, he was, as I said, against the church and he was out there and he was given authority by the, the, the Jews in Jerusalem to go out and kill Christians, basically. Get them, get them in prison. And as he was on the Damascus road, he had an encounter with God and he fell down off, his, off what was his horse. He was blinded for three days and Jesus spoke to him. And he's standing now. He has, he, once he became a Christian, he began to go out on missionary journeys. And we read about that in the, in the book of Acts. And he had three missionary journeys. Now, on the third journey now, he's now going to Rome. And he's appealed to Caesar. Because what happens, the Jewish authorities are really getting upset with the guy. They want to kill him. But anyway, he appeals to Caesar and he's on his way to Caesar. And before he gets there, the authorities really want to work out, why, are we, why is he going to Caesar? So he's standing before Felix and he's giving his testimony. And we pick it up in Acts 26, 16 to 18. And he says now, I, when he was persecuting Jesus, he saw Jesus and said, and Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people. It's a good word to have. And from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them, and here it is, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So that they may receive forgiveness and sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul, from the point that he came to a knowledge and had that encounter with Jesus, he knew what God had called him for. He had a sense of purpose from day one. Now, that doesn't happen like that for all of us, but he knew. 
that God had called him to go to the Gentiles. Here's the point. God has a specific purpose for our lives. We're not an accident. God has a specific purpose for our lives. We are not an accident. Now for some of you that will resonate because your mum and dad told you you were an accident. Yeah, we had a couple of good parties. Anyway. <laughs> and whoa, this is what happened. But you see, that's not so. God had a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. He knew that you were coming because he planned it. Where we live, the people we meet, our place of work, the difficulties that we all encounter are to shape us and prepare us for the good work that God has for us. And you need the F word for that. You need the F word for faith. You need faith to believe that what, where you live, what you do, what you go through is all to prepare you for the purpose. You know, I look in my own life. And, you know, where I work, I live in Dunstable. And Eileen and I both work in the same place. Obviously, we live in the same place. <laughs> And sometimes I've been working there a number of years and I had a situation develop just at the end of last term where two ladies took it upon themselves to give me a psychological dressing down in front of my boss and tell me that I'm this, that and the other and all the rest of it. No proof whatsoever, just their feelings of insecurity. Now I'm thinking to myself, if I wasn't who I was, someone who knows and loves Jesus, if I didn't understand that God has a purpose for me, I want to go over there and give them ladies a good slapping because they were well out of order. I mean, they, you know, they were, I would have blessed them, you know, as I said, with a brick. They were just bang out of order. And I'm still working through the forgiveness. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. Because they never talked to me at any point. It was all going on in the background, you know, whispering and all the rest of it, you know. And I knew that what was in me was causing them a lot of problems. God in me. But I had to believe that even though I had to go through that process, and it was not nice, you know, my boss was there, etc., trying to kind of pour water on it, all the rest of it, God has a purpose for my life which is bigger than those people's comments. That they don't have the final word on my life. They don't know who I am. I don't count them to be my friends. Because God has a purpose for me, I can rise up above it. And sometimes it's not easy. And friends, you will encounter things in your life. People situations, circumstances that mitigate against the purpose of God that are there to discourage you from keeping, keep on keeping on. But you see, all of that is to prepare us for the purpose that God has for us. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the temporal, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, when you go through stuff, God is working in you for eternity. 
When you face the trial, when you go through it, God is putting his character into you and preparing for you. Look, when Joseph, Joseph was a character from the Old Testament. He was one of 12 sons of Jacob. He, went, he, was, he had a dream and his dream got him in trouble because he couldn't keep his mouth quiet. His brothers were jealous of him. So they sold him into slavery down in Egypt. When he was Egypt, in Egypt, God was, he was doing good down there. But Potiphar's wife took a fancy to him, thought he was a bit of all right. I'm doing it fast. <laughs> right? And she framed him and basically said that you sexually assaulted me. It didn't happen. He got thrown into prison. 13 years. Now, when he was in the prison, don't you think that he had some problems as to whether the promise that on the, the vision that God had him was true? What kept him? The F word. Faith. He had to hang on to that. And then God took him from the prison and put him into the palace and he became the prime minister of, of Egypt and was God's instrument to keep the, holy, the, the purpose of God alive. Because, you know, they went down there. Jacob is that brother, Jacob is father and all the 70 and they became a mighty nation in Egypt. And the purpose of God of making his name known was now going to continue. But he had to be faithful. Even though the circumstances mitigated against that. And sometimes, friends, your circumstances and your situations may not look good. But hang on. Because it's faith in the promise that God has a purpose for your life that will keep you going. Here we have to exercise our faith in God's purpose for our lives. We have to learn to hang on to his promises. Charles V. Simpson, you may not know him, in his book, The Challenge to Give, put it like this. Faith is the ability to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though it has not yet come to pass. Love it. Faith is the ability to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though your circumstances are telling you different, even though it has not yet come to pass. And that's the kind of faith you need as we go through the process. Finally, save to pursue God's purpose. Again, Paul writing in the Philippians. And if you read Philippians chapter 3, the first part of it, he talks about his background, his pedigree. And he goes through all of that and says, look, that wasn't really important. And here we're going to pick it up at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, what I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Reputation, status, don't mean anything to me. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that it comes from the law, ticking the boxes. But that which is through what? The F word, faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And that's, that righteousness is a declared righteousness. God declares you righteous. Nothing to do with you. He just says, if you're a judge and you're not guilty, that's exactly what it means. You're not guilty. Doesn't say anything about your character, it just says you're not guilty. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And you put faith in that declaration. I know I want to know what? I want to know Christ. 
I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And what he's talking about there is the, if you go to Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And what Paul was depicting there was that when Christ was on the cross, Paul was on the cross. You were on the cross. I was on the cross. When he died, you died. But when he was erected, resurrected, you were resurrected. But you as a new person. The old Dennis the Menace is gone. Yeah? That's Louise. <laughs> because it died on Calvary. When Jesus died, I died. That old life, it went. That's what he's saying. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or already been made perfect. But I press on or I like the old version, this one thing I do. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He was pursuing the purpose. If we're going to pursue God's purpose for our lives, we must believe that God has already prepared the perfect activity for us. God has a perfect activity for you. Your goal in life is to find out what it is. You can come on the purpose driven life, maybe that will help you. But ultimately there is something unique that every one of us has to do. God has a specific purpose for our lives. We are not an accident. I want you to leave this morning with a sense of your uniqueness. There's no one like you. That God has a plan for your life. And don't ever put yourself down. Oh, it's only me. Who? God made you and he had a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. And he wants you to fulfill that purpose. And when you are fulfilling that purpose, you will feel at your best. You will know that you have arrived. You will understand what it is to just get connected where you just feel totally comfortable with what you're doing, where you are, and who you're doing it with. By faith, make it our ambition, this is our ambition, to pursue what God has called us to be and to do. There's two things there, the being and the doing. It's called us to be first sons and daughters. And we need to understand that. We need to rest in that. And then out of that, we can begin to do. If you begin to do and you don't know the being part, you're, you're just trouble. You know why? Because when you're not doing it, you feel you're going to fall apart. And we have to counsel you and pray for you. And what we actually have to do is help you to get back into that place where you learn to be. Uh, you learn to connect with Father and have a relationship with him. And realize that he loves you not on the basis of your performance. But on the basis of who you are. And when you understand that, that you are my beloved daughter. With whom I am well pleased. And that settles in your spirit. Then you can begin to do. Because you're not doing to get affirmation and love and comfort and all the rest of it. You're doing it because you want to be pleasing to him. This is saving faith. Faith in action. Paul put it like this. Being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you. Will carry it on to completion. 
until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, your faith is this, that God who called you, God who equipped you, as you put your faith in him on a daily basis, he will complete the good work that he started in you. Because he called you for a good work. He has a purpose for you. And you just need to put your trust in that. And Paul said it. He said, I'm confident this very thing. That he who began this good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because God is able. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on our God. Who provides the faith for us to come to a knowledge of Jesus and then provides the faith for us to go through the process so that we can fulfill the purpose of God for our lives and thus for our generation. And it's all by faith. Can the band come up? Shall we stand? This is the faith that saves. That God has a purpose for us. That we're not a fortuitous occurrence of atoms. God called us together for a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. That he will complete this good work that he has started in us. And having called you, he will finish the job. What he calls us to do is to have that faith in him. To trust in him. It doesn't mean that we don't keep the rules, but keeping the rules is not the key criteria. Let's pray together and Jonathan just... Father, we want to bless you and praise you that, Father, you have a plan for our lives. We thank you that you called us by faith. You gifted us with faith. We, We put that faith in your son, Jesus. We thank you now that that same faith that we put in you... On that day is the same faith that we need day by day. That as we walk through this life, as we go through the process, we commit ourselves once again to find the purpose for which you called us. And by faith, we put our confidence in your word that says, you who began this work, You will complete it in us. And Lord, thank you. You don't look at us as we are. But you see us as a completed job. Finished. Without spot or wrinkle. And Lord, we bless you. We praise you. That you are working in us. For your good pleasure. And we bless your name. Amen.